0: Welcome to the Turning Point Podcast. I am your host, Marita Spada, where I dive into the minds and lives of people from all walks of life to uncover their philosophies, strategies, and tools that help them live happier, healthier, and more balanced lives. In each episode, the conversations that I have with guests can empower you to live your best life in a purposeful and impactful way. My guest today is Jesse Anderson. He is a writer, speaker, coach, ADHD advocate and maker of things. Diagnosed at age 36, Jesse writes about his insights and experiences living with ADHD in the weekly newsletter, Extra Focus, helping over 60,000 readers navigate their own ADHD journeys or better understand their loved ones. He recently launched a book called Extra Focus, The Quick Guide to ADHD. Before we kick off the show, please remember to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform or share the link of the podcast with a friend. And now let's kick off the show. Welcome to the podcast and thank you for being here today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you uh, so much for inviting me. This is great.
0: Well, I wanted to start talking about your journey. You're a writer, you're a speaker, brand new author with a brand new book that came out yesterday. But before all that, what kind of brought you to the journey of just being like an ADHD advocate and talking about one of the abilities that I have so very interesting conversation to have with you today
1: right yeah so i i found out that i had ADHD in my 30s it was uh, i guess about 6 years ago now um total surprise uh, i someone had like suggested like hey do you think maybe you have ADHD and i was like no there's no way that i could have ADHD Because I have no problem focusing on things that are interesting to me, Uh, which if you know about ADHD, famous last words, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like that is, it's, it is easy to focus on things that are interesting. That's kind of a big part of it. That's where that hyper focus can come from for people with ADHD. So, but that sort of started the journey. Like I initially had said like, no way. And then I looked into it more and then started reading and I was like, oh man, this this isn't what I thought ADHD was at all. And so I just like dove into learning more and more about it. I'm just trying to better understand uh, my own brain um, just so that I could fix. Cause there was all, you know, like a lifetime of issues that have, that had happened, like motivation right. that was difficulty, uh, you know, difficult for me being late to things all the time and feeling like nothing I did ever made a difference. Um, like memory issues. Like I would always like, Oh, I'm going to do take care of this later. And then I would never, ever remember to do that thing that I said I was going to do later. So there's just like all these things that had plagued my life and I didn't know why. And so it was just like a lot of self-blame and like trying to figure out the problem. So once I found out about ADHD, it was like, oh, this is sort of like, this could be like the reason behind all of this. And so... Anyway, that was like probably a couple of years of just like reading lots and lots of books, reading like studies and really just like becoming a student of my own brain, like trying to learn everything I could about ADHD. Fast forward to like a couple of years ago, I, for some reason, I still don't remember why I signed up to do this like online writing challenge. It was called ship 30 for 30 and it was basically the idea was for like 30 days you would write a short, I think they called it uh, an atomic essay. And so you would write like basically like 500 to 600 words every single day and then release it. And so it was just like this 30-day challenge to like write a lot. And I had a series of topics that I wanted to talk about. I, In my, my career, I'm a, a designer and developer. So I had some topics about design I wanted to talk about and things like that. And then there's this whole ADHD thing where I was like, (laughs) well, I know a lot about this because I've really like been researching it a lot. And there's a few things that I think are really interesting that most people don't know. So maybe I'll write a little bit about that pretty quickly after I started writing some of these essays, the ones that I wrote about it, about ADHD was really like, those were the ones that were taking off. There's a lot of other people that had joined the challenge that were kind of in that space I was before of like. Wait, this is what ADHD is? Uh tell me more because this is really resonating with me. And then that's just sort of been the last couple of years for me where I did that writing challenge, quickly found that people were really relating and um and I happened to have acquired a lot of knowledge about ADHD and so I was uh, just writing more about it and sharing more about it doing videos and then doing lots of like, you know, I tweet a lot about it, just sort of like sharing kind of humorous takes on how ADHD affects my life as well as like advice. And then, yeah. And then the book that kind of came out of that as well, uh, which that's a whole thing. I, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm going just like through the whole thing, but like, (laughs) because I had done the, (laughs) because I'd done the writing challenge, I got to the end of like 30 days. And I looked back and I was like, that was like 15,000 words I did in a month. Yep. Writing a book should be no problem uh it's very different writing a book than just writing these little micro essays so that was like a whole journey to get to the book but I was able to do it and so the book is out now and I'm uh, super excited to be able to hopefully be part of that story for other people of finding out why their brain is different how it's different and what they can do about it and hopefully live you know kind of a better life because I know for me after my diagnosis I my life became way better I mean not an not immediately, but it became, it gave me like this whole new lens to understand why I acted in a certain way and why I did certain things and allowed me to kind of come up with new strategies that made it, uh, you know, made it easier to tackle those challenges.
0: It's interesting because I think everyone's journey is very different. I have learned from um, just talking to people that they're getting diagnosed like later in life, 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. For me, it was very different. I was diagnosed at six, which it's not as usual as you think. Like mm-hmm. back, this was like early 90s or something like that at that point, maybe 94, 95. So it, it still was as as it sounds very taboo like you didn't want your kid to have adhd because you didn't know what that meant and the only medicine out there was ritalin which was causing kids to lose weight in just ridiculous speed and it was it was really hard at that time because then the diagnosis should have helped me as a kid but then you get labeled as like the slow kid in class the kid that Mm. needs more time to do a test And so that kind of makes it really difficult in your childhood and teenage years to kind of not have that reputation because I was also very much in sports and doing all. So I have like this mixed personality, I guess, if you want to say it that way. But it's interesting when people discover it as adults because it kind of you start revisiting your childhood and your teenage years and it really puts like a name to everything that you've been going through, but you weren't labeled as that in school. So you didn't have to deal with that. So sometimes I wonder, was it better to be diagnosed when you're younger? Is it better to be diagnosed later in life? Because then later in life, you have to go through all this research and whatnot. Like it didn't make a difference for me. Like I did get extra attention in school and whatnot, but it made a difference once I became an adult, because at least for me, ADHD has evolved throughout the years and adult ADHD, and you can let me know if I'm wrong, is very different than when you're a child. Like I'm not as hyper anymore, but I have everything else, at least for me. I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah. So there's kind of, there's a few things there. I think I'd uh, love to unpack like one, the stigma. Yeah. It's huge. Uh, Especially like you're saying, like back then in the nineties, there's been a bit of a change for that, which has been kind of uh, great to see. I think over the past maybe just even a few years where more and more awareness. I mean, and a lot of that is just like mental health in general. There's been a lot more awareness that has grown. And so some of that stigma has lessened a lot from what it was back then. I know that like for me, when I got diagnosed, initially, my thought was like, once I understood it, I was like, what the heck, how did everybody miss this? It's so incredibly obvious. Now I, I wish, I wish, you know, you kind of go through this morning period, like looking back of like, Oh, if only I I had known that would have changed this in my life. And that would have changed this in my life. But the reality is kind of like you said, you were diagnosed like the Mm. 20 or whatever years ago, and you still ran into a lot of those, these difficulties, And I think that like, if I had been diagnosed as a kid, I don't know how different my life would have been because like, they may, maybe would have told my parents to give me medication, but that's it. And medication, um, I mean, there's some, some, uh, stigma there too, as well. I've heard a lot of, it's done a lot of positive for a lot of people. I personally tried a bunch of medication and I didn't find one that worked for me, but I've heard it can be really effective for a lot of people, but if that's all you're doing, like that's not going to do it like pills don't teach the skills. And so like, if all you know about ADHD is, hey, you should take this pill every day, that's really not going to do uh, much for your life. And so I think it's it's really easy. I Yeah, I, I get myself in that mindset. Well, not as much anymore. But I used to where I just was so yeah, it was like a morning period where I just felt like, Oh, if I'd only known maybe I would have gone, like, I feel like I probably had opportunities for scholarships, but because of my ADHD, it was like, I never followed up on those things. And so there's just like a lot of lost opportunity um, that existed through my twenties and uh, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So I think you had mentioned that you, you might have started with medication. So are you saying that you're taking more of a holistic approach now and doing other practices and, and things in your um, routine and not necessarily leaning on a medication i i too started with the med well i was a child i had no choice they were like take this pill so you can calm down but because <laughs> that's basically what they were trying to do but at age 15 16 i stopped i decided i'm not going to take this anymore and so it was it was a hard time to decide to not take the medication because you're still a teenager you're going through right. a lot of changes and all of a sudden this pill that i've been taking since i was six all of a sudden i just cut it And so it was like a lot of difficult times. I call those the renegade years. and (laughs) But I did a lot of learning and I figured out what worked for me now. Um, So for you, I think you were saying that you decided to go with that holistic approach. But so what do you do to try to like calm down the ADHD or identify when you're maybe like not thinking about what you're supposed to be doing or something like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do want to say like... uh the more holistic approach, kind of, but also, because I didn't find a med that worked for me. Um, and that's sort right. of a thing. I'm definitely like disclaimer, I'm not a med- medical professional at all. So don't, you know, medical advice, see a doctor, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But like, my experience was like, I tried a medication, and that didn't work. And I tried a different one. And I tried a different, one. I think I tried six different medications. And I but I kind of had a doctor that wasn't doing a very good job of Uh, it's titrating, where basically they're supposed to start you on like a really low dose and kind of like up it to kind of find that sweet spot. And my doctor didn't do that. And so we're just sort of like jumping all over the place. Um, So I'm, my hope is to at some point, maybe go back and try again, because I think medication could be an additional piece that might be helpful for me. Um, But outside of that, kind of like what you said, like I was more hyper- uh, More hyperactive as a child, like it, I think it was more internal still. But there's actually that, like you mentioning kind of calming down or whatever more as an adult with ADHD. A lot of times that's because your presentation of ADHD changes, which is actually there's like three presentations, um, which quickly I'll go through those. Like the no, main, please do. Or, yeah, so there's like one of them is. Uh, hyperactive impulsive presentation. And that's more of like the traditional, what people think of often when they think of ADHD, that's like the like stereotypical people would say, oh, it's that boy that runs in circles and mm-hmm. like in class and can't sit still. That is usually that hyperactive impulsive uh, presentation. And that has nothing to do with gender. It does happen more often in boys and girls, but girls definitely can be that presentation as well. Uh, the second presentation is inattentive presentation. And that's when it's a lot more of the like, like daydreaming, like you'll be like calling their name and they won't hear you at all because they're just sort of like much more in their own head. And there's, it's kind of like that hyperactivity is internalized in their brain. And so there's a whole lot going on, but on the outside, it looks very calm a lot of the time. And then the third presentation is uh, the combined presentation, which is kind of having aspects of both. And there's like, I think this is a really It can be a really helpful way. Like if you're curious about ADHD, like looking up the, um, the list of symptoms, there's like nine traits kind of for each, each of those or for the first two. And then the third one is just like the combined version of them. But looking at those, like, I looked at that list of nine and I had like eight of one and seven of the other. I was like, okay, well, this clearly (laughs) is a pretty strong indicator that I have like the combined presentation. But it's also, they used to call it types of presentation and they changed types of ADHD. And then they changed it to presentations of ADHD because they can change over time. And so often like a very common change is that someone as a child may be more hyperactive or combined presentation. And then as an adult, they kind of shift more into presenting the inattentive type, where they still kind of have the same stuff going on, like in their head, but it's less kind of obvious and physical and and outwardly hyperactive.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. Because so the hyper side of me, like I mentioned has calmed down, but my wife will yell at me all the time because she's like, I call your name three times and I, I was just reading something or doing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I swear I didn't hear my name at all. Right? right. And and that'll happen at work if I'm in a Zoom call and it's just they went on on a subject and I'm like, I tuned out and then they call my name and I'm like, I'm done. And right. it's worse when you're in management because you're, you need to be very present. So, um, but they do, they do change. And I think that's where this conversation even gets even more broader because now I think we're in this point where people, everyone is just using ADHD to like self-diagnose a neighbor or a friend or a coworker. They show one sign, maybe you're a little OCD or maybe you've been like, you know, late to a couple of meetings and they they'll say that we're trying to be more sensitive with mental health, but it still comes up. And so I think it's this, this debate that people think that they can self-diagnose ADHD and yeah, I, it's, it's, you can't, you just can't, <laughs> for me it's such at least a, you can.
1: <laughs> right. I think it's such a tricky thing that like self-diagnosing because on one hand, it's there most symptoms of ADHD, like everyone can kind of relate to one or two of them. Like that's why yeah. you need to match. Like, I think it's six or more of those like nine for each presentation Because or no, it's, it's five or more as an adult, six or more as a, as a child. But because of that, there is a little bit of like where it looks like someone like, oh, maybe you do have ADHD because you like these three things are really common with you or whatever. And it's difficult because ideally, yeah, you can go like go to a professional and then they can help walk you through whatever that kind of diagnostic process looks like. And there's different ways that different people do it. Um, But it is the, the tricky thing is. It's difficult to get that, especially depending on like there's some countries where there's just like no option or there's like a multi-year wait list. So I kind of think that I, I don't totally throw out self-diagnosis. I think it can be valid with fuller understanding. Um, just because like if there was like an easy like, hey, take this test and then you'll know for sure, like I I wish that kind of existed. But because it doesn't, it's kind of like it's it's such a it's such a tricky line because like it's really easy for someone to see like one or two TikToks and be like, oh, I have ADHD because right. like this person said a thing and I thought it was me. And it's like, that's probably not the case. But if you do, like if you are seeing enough of those memes or TikToks or whatever it is, and those are kind of connecting and, re- and relating, that's a sign to really kind of look into it more. And hopefully, like like I said, kind of look at that. Um, oh, I forgot to mention that list I was talking about the presentations. It's from the DSM which is like the diagnostic statistic manual of mental disorders. I think it's, uh, I think that's what it is, but the DSM is where those, that those lists come from. And I think that's a good starting point to kind of see like, is this worth going to see a doctor? Do I actually have this? Or do I just kind of relate with a few things uh, because like, you know, TikTok's going on.
0: (laughs) I'm probably going to butcher his name a little bit. I always do. Um, but in your research, I'm sure you probably stumbled upon, um, Gaber Mate. Mm-hmm. you see seen his book. Yeah. So he, yep. he, his book is really good. And like, I was like, just get out of my head. Cause I was, it was just <laughs> so on point. But one thing that is interesting is he has like this, I don't want to say debate. I think, I don't think he goes back and forth, but he talks a lot about whether or not ADHD is like genetics. Like if a family member has it, then most likely you'll have it. Um, What do you what do you think of that with, again, no data, no science like I know that I have my my father and my uncle undiagnosed, but just we are all like twins and how we work and everything. So um, and my dad was a doctor. So I think to a certain point he he did understand that. But what do you think of that? Like, do you think there is some sort of connection or do you think this is just completely different and and every individual can have it regardless of of genes and, and family history?
1: Right. So I'll, I will say like uh, the research is still ongoing kind of, as you alluded, like there isn't a scientific definitive answer on this yet from what I've seen, it seems like the, the genetic thing seems likely or something along those lines, because it definitely, in my experience, it really does seem that ADHD runs in families. So like I, when I, uh, first was like reading some of the ADHD symptoms. I realized that there was all these things that I initially thought of as like, oh, these are just like family quirks, because my brother does this, and my dad does this, and we all kind of do these things. This is just like an Anderson thing. And then I was like, oh, no, that's not an Anderson thing. It's an ADHD thing. And <laughs> we all have ADHD, and we just didn't know about it. Um, so it's really common in my family. Like my, I found out my brother and my sister and both my parents actually all have it. Um, and my wife does not have it, but we, at least two of our three kids, two of them have been diagnosed and we're pretty sure the third one has it as well. Although he hasn't been officially diagnosed yet. And so to me, it seems like, and I've seen that story with a lot of people. It's very common for someone to bring like a child into the doctor and say, Hey, I think they might have ADHD or maybe they don't know it's ADHD, but like, Hey, my child's having these difficulties. What could it be? And then, as the doctor explains what ADHD is to them, the parent is like, "But that's what I do." <laughs> right. So that it's that true. connection is uh, super common. And I know that, like uh, Dr. Ned Hallowell, who's written, he wrote the book "Driven to Distraction," which was the first book I read on ADHD, which is which is older, but it's still really good. And some other stuff. I know he's talked about, like uh, in his his research or his experience, he's seen that it seems like roughly 50%. Like if you have two parents and one of them has ADHD, like every kid probably has roughly a 50% chance of uh, also having ADHD.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I don't think, like you mentioned, I don't think the science is completely like
1: right. on, on
0: which side are we now, right? So I wanted to go back to your book. I'm don't want to say why you wrote it because it's your book. I'm assuming this this, you know, this affected so much of your life that you want to make an impact probably in others as well and share probably your learnings. But mm-hmm. what is the book essentially about? Um, it's called extra focus. Is it is it basically talking about tips and tricks for people with ADHD? Like what is the whole journey if I pick up the book and decide to to read it?
1: Yeah. So this is the book that I wrote the book basically that I wish I had gotten when I first got diagnosed (laughs) or when I first like started like, wait, is this like ADHD isn't what I thought it was. So what is it? And so the idea of the book is very much to kind of like, I I do walk through those presentations as we talked about and kind of let you have like a little bit of like self scoring. So you can sort of see like, is this something like what presentation do I connect with? Do I likely have this thing? But it's basically that getting started guide, that first step of like, trying to figure out like, what actually is ADHD? And then what can I do with it? Like, I have a lot of uh, strategies in there. So I have different sections, because there's so many things that are common for people with ADHD, like time blindness. And so I, I talk all about how, like how people with ADHD perceive time differently than most people and why like people with ADHD are often very late to think or the- consistently late to almost everything or consistently really really early. So some people with ADHD basically kind of overcorrect, and they're never on time, but they're always like extremely early. So there's sort of like both sides of that coin. Um, and then and then I after talking about kind of like the different aspects of what time blindness is, you know, what it's like experiencing that for people with ADHD, then I kind of go into some strategies, and I do that in like every section of the book. So we talk I talk about memory. I talk about um, emotion because a lot of people with ADHD, like we have emotional dysregulation, which means you read that my we experience. Mind. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. We experience emotions like really intensely and which often means we react really intensely too. Um, and there's this term, there's this term called uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria, which was coined by uh, Dr. William Dodson. So it's not like an official like medical term, but it's sort of but the idea bit behind that is that people with adhd often experience uh, the feeling of rejection or like um a like holding back love as like extremely painful like like almost like physical pain like when you're you you might be having a conversation with somebody and then they say something and suddenly it just like sparks like you just feel like destroyed inside and like some people completely internalized when they feel that rejection um, some people like explode just like and that's that's how I was for a long time like when I feel that rejection my instinct is to get mad like I just kind of like blow up because it just feels like I've been stabbed in the back or stabbed in the front just like I'm so the it, it's so hard to describe for people without ADHD but people with ADHD most people have experienced this where it's like that rejection it, it just like hits you so deep that it's it, it's really hard to, it's really hard to even describe because it's such a, like, like to your soul, that, that pain. I,
0: for the listeners who don't have ADHD are probably like, what is he talking about? <laughs> but I totally understand what you're saying. Like it yeah. is the emotion regulations really hard to explain. And even as you acknowledge that you have to deal with this even as you try to cope with it whether it is with medication or I meditate every day it works for me I I try to tell people to do it but it doesn't work for everyone like if you have ADHD I'm always like just five minutes something it's just calming the the mind that I don't know what it does but it levels me to another like if days ha- happen like and I don't meditate I'm done my <laughs> right. fuse is so short I mm-hmm. mean anything can like just turn things around and what I was talking about emotional regulation, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I something happened recently and I wanted to share the story with you because I think it really taps into this. So I've been I big nine, those six, six, I have my routine. I have my things to try to keep myself very regulated, but I live in an HOA. My wife used to be in the HOA. The president had a power trip and insulted her and threatened her and it got really, really bad. And then this last meeting, it was the first time that I've seen him. And I could not control my emotions, again, because we're talking mm. about certain subjects, in- injustice, uh, betrayal, uh, disrespecting someone that you love dearly. And so these are a lot of trigger points for people with ADHD.
1: Yeah, that, And so specifically... I confronted him
0: in the meeting. And my wife was like, what are right. you doing? And I just, now after it happened and I'm more calm, I'm like, I should have done this. I should. I didn't. I didn't threaten him. It didn't. It didn't get bad to any point. But I did get out of my seat and go pretty close to the table, not to physically harm him or anything, but to make my point and my my voice heard that what you're doing to the community and what you did to her personally was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. in retrospect, I was like, I should have meditated. I should have sat really far back. I should have still voiced it but kept my cool. But in that moment. You don't even see the people around you. You don't even see the person you're talking to. You are in this emotional roller coaster that ADHD just leads you blindly. That's the best way that I can explain it. So when you were talking about that, I was just thinking about this because it happened a few weeks ago and it hadn't happened to me in a very long time. And now you go into this little shell back again and you're like, I thought I was improving. I had a step. I had a setback. And what do you do now? Which I'm sure that people that are listening that have ADHD are like, oh my God, you're just like just explaining my life to me.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Like one first that justice sense justice sensitivity. Oh, it's that's a big one for a lot of people with ADHD. I I had that especially as a kid. I would like, um, like I wasn't the most popular kid. I was kind of a loser. And so I was friends with some of the other like loser kids, which and they would get picked on and me because of my like sensitivity to like the justice of like this some kid would get picked on so i would jump into a fight to defend him every single time and so i i got in so many fights just like elementary school i got in so many fights i was seeing the principal all the time and it was because i jumped in anytime anyone got picked picked on like my justice sensitivity like went off and i'm like that can't that's not right so someone's got to do something so i guess i'm Like I'm jumping in to fight this kid that's three times my size and and I'm not a great fighter, but this can't stand and I have to do something. And so that was that was definitely big for me, um, particularly in elementary school. I don't even know. I probably got in like 50 fights. It was uh, ridiculous. I did the
0: same. I yeah. remember this one kid was picking on, and I didn't care. It was boy, girl. I would just go defend anyone. Mm-hmm. And he was picking on my friend. And he was drinking a juice box. I took his juice box. I put it in his shirt and I pressed it. He got all the juice box <laughs> all over his shirt. Like I didn't physically like harm him, but it was like, yeah. stop picking on him. This is not right. This mm-hmm. justice thing. Sometimes I'm like, all right, I have to sometimes let it go as right. much as it pains me. And then I, there's days it probably feels for you too. Like you're just feeling horrible because you didn't do something because you might have let it go. Cause I know if I just interact with the injustice situation that I'm, that I'm seeing it might end, very poorly for me. So there's days that I have to, with this one, I was like, it's my wife. I'm not, I can't let this one go, but with some other things, I was like, right, I have to let this one go.
1: Yeah. And I think like for people that don't have ADHD that are hearing this, like, I would say, think of like a time that you've had, like the most intensely you felt like an emotion and most likely it was this buildup it was a buildup of Mm -hmm. things that like led to and then you got more and more upset or angry or whatever that emotion was and think of like when you hit that extreme point like whenever that's happening in your life and for ADHD like there's just a switch that turns you from zero to that point yes and and because of it because it's so sudden like you don't even have time to like think about like, how am I going to like manage this emotion? Cause I'm not like, it's not like this build towards it where I can feel like it's coming. It's, it's so fast that it can become like really difficult to manage, especially when you don't know why, like when I didn't know about emotional dysregulation, like when that emotion hits, like it, it doesn't feel like a surprise. It feels like fully justified. Like in the moment, I feel this emotion intensely. And it feels like I should feel this emotion, like, because I was betrayed, or whatever that thing is, or like, like you're saying, like the the justice, like, I should feel this way. And so it becomes really like, it's really difficult to, like, hold back from reacting in a negative way, particularly when you don't know that that's the case. Um, One of the things I talk about in the book is sort of like, tricks to sort of like realize that that's what's happening and so like one thing that helped me um particularly like with my wife like we would get into like some you know heated discussions from time to time which you know that happens in relationships (laughs) so but there was something this was a a few years ago and I had learned kind of recently at the time about the idea of like rejection sensitivity and she said something I don't remember what it was but I that that flip switch. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, uh, was so mad and I just felt betrayed. And there's a couple of things that really helped me pull back from saying something I was going to regret or whatever. Um, I literally said out loud because we had talked about rejection, sensitive dysphoria recently. I like through gritted teeth, like I didn't, this didn't just calm me down, but through gritted teeth, I basically said like, I think I'm feeling that rejection sensitive dysphoria right now. Uh, I think we need to take a break because right now I'm feeling betrayed. I feel I, like it feels like I've been stabbed in the back and I can see logically that what you said was not intended to do that, but that's what I'm feeling right now. And so we took a break and that allowed me to kind of calm down. And then I could see it a lot more clearly. And another trick that um, my therapist actually told me, was like, when you're in that situation, particularly with with, you know, your spouse, like, think about the history of your relationship, like the way you feel right now. Does it logically make sense to you? Does it make sense that she would betray you in the way you feel right now? Like, you look at the history of your relationship. Does it add up that like, oh, we've gone through all this so that she would purposefully betray me and like, do this harm to me right now. And no, like that was clear to me that that was not the case. Like, clearly, she's not intending... To cause this harm to me, I'm probably misunderstanding the situation or whatever it is. And that that won't always work because obviously there's a lot of toxic situations out there. But often, especially for those people that are close to you, that can really help you gain perspective on the reality of that situation you're in.
0: No, that's right. And and for me, like I've done something similar, like around the house, I have the corner that I meditate and then I have like mm-hmm. my office and an area where I like to write. So if I am in a similar situation with with my wife, I'm like, I need to step away. The, and, yeah. and, I, and I go through that. Like, you know, I know she loves and cares for me and she does all these things for me um, that show that. So why would she say something intentionally? to hurt me in in such a way, but you do need that break. Because the way that I explain it to her and a lot of people that don't have ADHD is like, imagine you have a glass and little by little things that are annoying, you are piling up with water and eventually that glass is gonna overflow. For us, Mm -hmm. it's already already full of water all the time. So at Mm -hmm. any point, anything that someone can say or do will make it overflow because we're not filling it little by little. Most of the time, it's already at a hundred percent that's that trigger switch that you're saying and so doing what you're saying having i have like a column like little safe spaces where like i do different things in the home and i just go to that so i can think come down take a breather and then kind of really think about things there's times that i'm like i know that i'm going to like snap i'm like okay i need to like step away or not Mm -hmm. go into that meeting for example the HOE meeting would have been a great opportunity to not go (laughs) but all these things that that um that we can do to really try to manage it as best as we can. But the emotion regulation, that is probably the biggest one that affects, you know, your marriage, friendships, work. It really just affects a lot of your life.
1: Yeah, totally. And kind of what you're saying, there's like the meditation that I've uh, personally, I've tried and that hasn't worked for me, but I've heard from a lot of people that that's super effective for me, which is almost kind of a form of meditation, like taking a walk and like leaving leaving the AirPods at home and just having a walk with my thoughts that has has been sort of a version of meditation that helps for me and that exercise also like that that helps get the right chemicals flowing that can also uh help out with stuff like that too
0: yeah and i teach meditation i tell people all the time like there's like you know lying down meditation walking meditation just you're sitting in the deck and you're looking at trees that's you're meditating just mm-hmm. because you're not having your eyes closed and you're not breathing in and out in a certain way or counting them, you're you're it's a form of meditation. It's just being by yourself, not being you know overstimulated by anything like YouTube and things like that. So
1: right, right. Um, mm-hmm.
0: so that definitely um works. In in regards to to your book, what um what other things can people learn from your book that can help them? whether or not they know they have ADHD, whether or not they picked up the book because they're curious and trying to figure out, do I actually have this? Should I actually get, um, you know, visit a doctor to actually get additional help? Um, what are some other topics that that you want to give people like a sneak preview to?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, uh, particularly for people with ADHD that they struggle with is motivation. That was the biggest thing for me for a long time is I would try all these different like productivity hacks and reading you know, books, like getting things done and all of those like different strategies because I was like, why can't I get stuff done that I want to do? Like, I'm not avoiding this thing. I want to do it, but I'm like sitting and I just can't get myself to do it. And a lot of, or especially like at work or school, there's be like these big projects that I knew were important and that there was gonna be really negative consequences if I didn't do it. And it's still, I just couldn't get that motivation. And one of the things I learned that I talk about a lot in the book uh, is this idea of sort of the the interest-based nervous system, which is, um, again, that's uh, an idea from like Dr. William Dodson, who talked about rejection-sensitive dysphoria. But the concept here is that most people, like neurotypical people that don't have ADHD or other like conditions, they, they're primarily motivated by things that are important And then things that have rewards and consequences. And so you look at most productivity, like productivity tips and advice for your like motivation, and it has a lot to do with rewards and consequences and like, or like sorting things so that you're making sure to do the most important thing. And that like, for me, I see a project and I'm like, man, that's really important. And like I said, like, and I know that consequence is going to be bad, but I still, like that doesn't provide that like in motivation to do it, even when I'm like desperately like trying to get it done. And the idea of the interest-based nervous system is that instead of importance, rewards, and consequences being motivators, for us, we are inter we are motivated by interest primarily, and then novelty or creativity. Uh challenges and like competition um and that's different for different people what they find like it's kind of like finding that goldilocks of challenge where it's not too challenging where it feels impossible but just challenging enough to kind of excite your brain right. um and then the fourth one is kind of that urgency which like drives you to get stuff done and for me that's that's one of the biggest ones is urgency because in school i would get a big paper and then i would ignore it for the three months i had to work on it and then the night before suddenly is like oh well now it's really urgent And I'm going to stay up all night working on this paper. Um, And I would do that with work as well. And so that's been actually speaking of the book, like that was a big way I got the book done because I started working on it and I was initially that like novelty creativity part of it was really exciting because it was like new book. So I was writing and doing really good. And then at some point I kind of hit a roadblock and I was just like, not motivated anymore. And I was like, Oh, no, I told everyone about this book, I have to do it, what am I going to do. And so I ended up coming up with ways to create urgency, I wasn't going through a traditional publisher. So I didn't have like an editor like banging on my door like saying, Hey, where's the next draft. So I kind of uh, implemented that that implemented that for myself, and I announced like beta reading. So I got some, some people to sign up to be beta readers to read like an early version of the book. Um, and so I gave them the date, like, this is when you get to read the book. And then I had, that was my urgency because I was like, well, what? I can't show them what I have right now. What I have right now is a complete disaster. <laughs> so I have to like frantically put that together um, so that I have it in time to get it to uh, the beta readers. And I did that. So I had like three or four different drafts that I did beta readers. And it was, I, that was like one of the primary ways I was able to finish the book. Like using that urgency, because the importance didn't matter and the reward, like obviously it's gonna be really rewarding to release a book that wasn't motivating anymore. It's like I lost that novelty and I needed the urgency to help propel me forward. So that's a big part that I talk about in the book. And I kind of uh, talk about the framework of that, which I call the four C's of motivation, just because that was an easier way for me to remember it, which, so I do captivate, create, compete, complete. And so those are kind of those four motivators. And then I have like a little strategy guide that shows different ways of using that for different tasks, even even simple stuff like doing the dishes. Like you can use all four of those to motivate yourself to do the dishes if you know the way to do it.
0: Well, I have to thank you very much for, for writing this book because I think it's not only going to help the people that have ADHD, but it's also going to help those that have relatives with ADHD because a lot of the times the word gets thrown around but like a spouse or a parent or a friend just don't know how to help this person. And just understanding what they go through is just a little bit more of, you know, another tool in their toolbox to, to take care of someone that they really love. So I really appreciate you writing this book and taking the time I'm writing a book. So I know how difficult for someone ADHD <laughs> it is to write a book um, and trying to really just to commit to those deadlines and all these other things. But mm-hmm. I appreciate your commitment to being an advocate and sharing your story and all these other things with people that really need to hear it. Because like I mentioned for the longest time, this was very taboo and I don't even think it was seen as a disability. Um, I think that's pretty recent now when you're like maybe applying for a job where it's listed as a disability, which is encouraging for the people that are just learning how to manage it to know that now your job, if you're applying and it says it right there. Should support you where before you weren't even supported. Like if you kept missing deadlines and things like that, they'll probably put you in a pip and then you're in trouble, sort of. So
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, but as we wrap up, I wanted to ask you two questions that I ask all my guests, also just to get a little bit more of of a look at the person that that's doing all this magnificent work. Um, if you could go back in time to your 18 year old self and give one piece of advice. What would it be?
1: Oh, man. I think like there's that famous scene in like the movie Goodwill Hunting where the Robin Williams character is saying, like, it's not your fault uh, to will. And I feel like that's so much of when you grow up with ADHD, you just blame yourself for so much. There's just so much like self blame and shame that comes because you don't know what's happening. You just know that like you have these great intentions and for whatever reason, your actions just aren't lining up with that and so because of that like you so many other people misread what your intentions are and it's which is so hard um and so I think like somehow communicating to 18 year old version of me of just like it's not your fault um and helping to rid that self-blame um and hopefully start to repair that self-esteem because that's once I was diagnosed at uh I think I was 36 when I got diagnosed like a lot of what happened in those first few years was just like repairing my self-esteem because it had just been like shattered for so many years of like, I like people would say it was my fault. And I knew that it didn't like that didn't quite add up, but I didn't have anywhere else to shift that blame. And so it all just sort of like fell on my shoulders and that's it's tough. That's like you know, really hard as a kid, when you're just like, you don't know what the problem is, you're trying to do the stuff, and it's not working out. And it's just, but you're hearing all this, like, you know, teachers and parents, and you know, my parents did a great job trying to raise me not knowing anything. But still, it's like all that stuff's just like piling on you, like that blame, and that it just like is pretty crushing to your self esteem. And so I think that was that would be one of the biggest things that I wouldn't want to be able to go back in time and tell myself, it's just like, it's not your fault, there's something going on, and you just don't understand it yet.
0: That's good. That's a really good example of what you would say. Um, Last question. If you could have dinner with someone uh, dead or alive, who would it be and why?
1: Yeah, so left turn, nothing to do with ADHD on this one. Um, But I would say probably Steve Jobs, who I think is a really fascinating figure, like clearly flawed, like clearly has had a lot of difficulties having to do with family and stuff like that, but such a fascinating individual that really his he just really did have a brilliant mind and a brilliant like kind of outlook and seeing things that other people couldn't see like being able to envision uh envision kind of a future in ways that most people just didn't understand and so i think it would be really like i don't i don't know if uh I don't know exactly how that dinner would go, but just having like an hour to hang out and just sort of like hear his mind work in real time, I would find like super fascinating because he's he's a figure uh, that I've always been really uh, intrigued by.
0: I agree. Like, I think people throughout and I work in tech, people throughout tech have different opinions of of him as a leader or him as a a visionary or people being like, he didn't create anything. And I'm like, but he he had a vision of things that I don't even think we could have envisioned when he was mm-hmm. telling people, I'm just going to, in this little box, put a bunch of music. And people were like, what are you talking about? And <laughs> now we don't know how to live without our phones and being able to listen to whatever song we want whenever we want to, again, with Spotify. But he started this, yeah. this path into leading us into a future in tech that we couldn't envision for ourselves. So there is a lot to be said about that.
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't want him as a boss, but I would love to hear uh, his (laughs) mind at work.
0: (laughs) So before we wrap up, I wanted to also give you the space to tell folks where they can find you, learn more about you, learn where to purchase your book and any other merchandise or resources that that you want to share with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the best place the place to get the book, I mean, it's available, you know, Amazon, anywhere that books are sold, but extrafocusbook.com is kind of the website where I link out to all of that. And I also do a I write a weekly newsletter about ADHD, which is also called called Extra Focus. And so that's just extrafocus.com. Um, and then I'm kind of the, who knows there's so many social media now, there might be a new one before this episode comes <laughs> out, but I go by just ADHD, Jesse. So ADHD, J E S S E that's my username pretty much everywhere. And I'm on, uh, most of the platform. Like I get excited about the new platform. I'm, I'm on their day one. So you can find me on, uh, you know, X as it's now called Instagram or any of those places, but the book extra focus Beautiful.
0: Thank you so much for being part of the podcast today and and sharing this amazing knowledge that you gained through all your research. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, having me here. This was a delight. It was great.
0: ADHD can significantly influence a person's life. The biggest challenge is trying to navigate a world that often is not designed for their unique patterns of thinking and behaving. I do hope that our conversation today has helped you, the listeners, understand ADHD a bit more, to embrace empathy when a family member or a friend is struggling to find this balance in their lives. For now, peace out and see you next time.